We have to talk about it. Mm. Uh, Yes, the great uh, tragedy that was last week. (laughs) Unfortunately, our frequel for Monkey Bone, in case you couldn't tell or you didn't tell, uh, did not come out because of a mishap that unfortunately we, I mean, I caught way too late. (laughs) And it's something that like, I mean, because I've had friends and family that ask like, oh, is it that bad? And, I mean, you listened to it as well, Andy. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I, I trusted your judgment when you texted me and you said you uploaded it to the thing. But I was also like, well, maybe I'll just give it a listen just to, you know, even if it's bad, maybe we could put it out there. And then I listened to a few minutes of it and I was like, this is insufferable. Yeah. It's it's not something that is like you could listen to it, but why would you? Yeah. Like, and it's not because of the content. Again, no, right. the the experience uh, recording with Austin was a blast. All three of us had yeah. a wonderful Rest time. Rest in peace, Austin Webster. No, he's not dead. Oh. He just that that version of Austin in that episode is dead. <laughs> Austin Monkey Webster Bo- on Monkey Bone is dead. <laughs> Monkey Bone Austin is no more. Austin on the nine eleven implications of Monkey Bone is dead. Yeah, it, it was a very rambly, wild episode that we had more fun talking about. What could have been with Monkey Bone than actually discussing Monkey Bone as a film? Yeah, and also just had more fun talking about other stuff. Yeah, on top of that. Well, and the the high point of Chris Kattan's career that is Monkey Bone. Yes, yes. Any film where Chris Kattan is the MVP definitely shows where that <laughs> film stands quality wise. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately. It just, that episode, unless I can find somebody else who is much better with me as audio, which is definitely possible. And like, go <laughs> we like, are hey, not anyway. pros over here. I'm still learning. And unfortunately, what, what sucks too is like, I was aware of nothing while we were recording in terms of there being an issue. Like when we, cause I was listening to it cause you couldn't, cause you forgot your headphones. Right. So it was just me and I heard no issues whatsoever. So ultimately when I get to the recording, when I get to the editing process and I just start hearing it and i go wait a minute this wasn't in the recording (laughs) where did this come from only to be like well it doesn't matter (laughs) because this can't be used so now i have a lost episodes file i never thought i'd have that (laughs) but you know maybe in the future again if we can find a way to salvage it we'll show it but and all in all monkey bones the worst film selic's ever done yeah he's aware of it everyone's aware of it it screams studio interference from top to bottom (laughs) It's not funny, it's it's, not, at least yeah. in the way it wants to be. Bits and pieces of it are really cool with the stop motion animation, but like overall, not really worth your time. Yeah. If you're studying, so I mean, you know, if you're if you're fascinated by Selick, you know, it's yeah. a good it's a good rabbit hole movie. Like, oh, I really want the deep dive on Selick, but uh, it's certainly not not another high point on his filmography it's genuinely the type of film where i even had the idea of like we could maybe redo an episode of it again just like revisit and then i was like then we'd have to revisit monkey bone (laughs) yeah do we really want that no i don't (laughs) so yeah so here we are we're on our next trilogy and got my god i did not think out of all the film trilogies we'd handle it would be an Irish one that would mm. scare me the most in terms of pronunciation. Oh, yeah. Because, like, I mean, when we did Bong Joon-ho, I, was, I tried my best to just practice the pronunciation. And I think I did a decent job for someone who does not speak Korean in the <laughs> slightest. But even as I was trying, like, offhandedly to say these names more, 
organically. It just does not work for me. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's. I mean, at least with with Korean naming conventions, conventions there's yeah. like there's rhythms to it, and you know, certain syllables re reoccur a lot. And what I'm noticing about Irish naming conventions and and mythology is that they're all over the place. And yes. uh, it's very much like reading a passage in old English, and it's like, this looks kind of like the language I speak, but <laughs> an alien language at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's it'll be fun this episode. We will do our absolute best, and we do not intend to butcher anything that comes from it. And so, with that said, hello everyone, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies, we take a trio of films, whether tied by cast, crew, thematic elements, numerical order, etc. We talk about each film, and we go through the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And today we're doing another animation trilogy, and that is Cartoon Saloon's Irish Folklore Trilogy. We were on a big animation kick mm-hmm. recently. Even with Monkey Bone, got yeah. <laughs> kind of technically counted Part of the on kick. that. Part of the kick. That one's a kick in the pants. Yes, but... it was. But thankfully, we decided to end November on a high note yeah. with this uh, Kilkenny. Is that the way to pronounce it? it I think it's, so. It's exactly how it looks. Okay. The Kilkenny-based animation studio that is entirely independent, that has been making films since 2009, mm-hmm. has been founded since 1999. I think they and, had a short film early yes, on, but their yeah, so. their first feature was part of this trilogy yes. in 2009. And so we are covering in this trilogy 2009's The Secret of Kells, 2015's or 2014's Song of the Sea, and 2020's Wolfwalkers. I tell you, man, the number of times I've been like saying these titles to myself and I keep saying Song of the South <laughs> instead of Song of the Sea. Oh, wow. It I just mean, rolls right off. To me, it's more I go Secret of the Kells. When it's really the secret of Kells. Yeah, the secret of Kells. So that's the one for me. I'm glad neither yeah. one of us fucked up Wolfwalkers. So it feels like an easy one <laughs> to just not one. get wrong. Yeah. But yeah, just Cartoon Saloon is an animation company based in Ireland. It was in, you know, founded in 1999, and their original, their initial feature debut only comes out in 2009. But they started pre-production in 1999, with the inspirations being three big ones: Mulan. Richard Williams is the Thief and the Cobbler, and of course, Studio Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. So you come with that in mind. We get to 2009's The Secret of Kells, and it is pretty fucking clear. <laughs> All three of the inspirations are shown in this film. Yeah, um, I I think it was interesting reading about. I think it was Tom Moore, the director of all, or at least co-director of all three films. Um, yeah him mentioning studio ghibli as inspiration just because um i think that's a really cool approach like oh studio ghibli took a lot of you know japanese mythology and philosophy and turned those into um kind of animated worlds and you really see that on display in secret of kells of just like every frame of the movie has like just little bits and pieces of Irish cultural imagery and Celtic imagery and just, I mean, the music too, obviously, which plays an even bigger part in Song of the Sea. But um, yeah, it's just really cool in this movie. Like everywhere you look, the trees, the stonework in the cities, like everything is 
shaped in specific ways to mm-hmm. call the uh, body structures of yeah, everybody is to refer back to like old imagery and and um, like illuminated manuscripts, which, mm-hmm. which this movie deals with. Yes, this is a film that is inspired by and touches upon loosely because again, it's <laughs> not it's not the actual book of Kells. It's like the the inspiration and like the fictional kind of creation of the yeah it's not like a retelling of the actual history of book of of the book of kells which for those who aren't aware the book of kells was an illuminated manuscript of like the gospel books of the bible yeah new testament Um, and uh i think it was published in ireland but it's Mm -hmm. written in latin um and so, yeah, this this movie is not really like trying to recount the historical basis of it, but no, it's more no, kind no, of yeah. taking the inspiration of like a significant work of literature and and the. It's really not even a very religious movie. I mean, they mention uh, Christianity and the kind of um, the pagan beliefs as well, but yeah. it's it's really kind of just about. Um, creativity and uh you know the the power of art and expression and Mm -hmm. literature and that sort of thing yeah the big proponent of all these three films that i think works and shows just how good of creators you know more nor to may and everyone else at cartoon saloon especially early on is the the idea of just like at a base level is the story engaging enough that when like a child watches it and enjoys it and maybe wants to rewatch it over and over again, is it, do they have to look for the, the homages, the kind of like think about like, Oh, what is this trying to be? And in mm-hmm. all honesty, cause like these stories, all three of these films are pretty straightforward. Yeah. Especially yeah. Kells for a film that's based off an illuminated manuscript of the four gospels of the new Testament. <laughs> this is a 75 minute film. And it is cut and dry, just goes in and out. Yeah. It's like, wow. It's, I mean, it's also one of the film's downfalls, I think, when it gets to the finale. Yeah. But ultimately, what it comes down to is a very simple story about a boy who lives in Kells, is trying to, they're all trying to hide from the Northmen. Yeah. The, basically, the Vikings from up north are ravaging mm-hmm. Ireland. The Scars Guards are coming down. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and basically, like, th- this city of Kells is portrayed as this kind of walled fortress town with this mm-hmm. uh, very kind of, uh, I don't know, iron-gripped leader. Um, was it Abbot? Uh, oh, gosh, I got him. <laughs> Abbot Calic or something? It's somewhere um, on there, yes. Uh, and he is uh, Brendan, the main character's uncle, so there's that it, yeah. whole element as well. But... Um, yeah, so it's basically, okay, here's this kid growing up in this sort of mundane, walled-in city. He's isolated mm-hmm. from the world around him. Uh, and, of course, he is drawn for a number of reasons to explore more of the outside world, as well as his more creative impulses through this book that um, the, uh, the local illuminator is working on, mm-hmm. which happens the to... The Book of Iona. Yeah, the Book of Iona. Because, yeah, again, we are <laughs> – there's so much – There's a lot it, of lore. There's a lot of These lore. These are lore heavy. But, it, but, again, just because it has that lore doesn't mean you can't just enjoy the beautiful aspects of it, the design. The, the characters themselves are a bunch – are a lot of fun. Again, there's sensibilities in this film that are clearly, like, 
yeah, Disney's been using these sensibilities for decades. Mm-hmm. Where it's like the classic protagonist that just wants to go out, do their right, own yeah. thing, see the world. I'm not just a simple boy. <laughs> I want to be an adventurer, that kind There's of thing. There's more out there for me. Yeah. And all three of these films kind of have that energy to them when ultimately adding the Kel- the Celtic mythology and the Irish mm-hmm. influence to it is where it gives it its personality. And yeah, it's, oh my gosh, where, I mean, where do you start with this other than, I mean, you've already talked about the animation. The biggest voice of this film is Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, Abbott, yeah. Is Abbott Kellogg? Yeah, um, it, it, the way they say it in the film sounds a lot like Calic. Calic, but yes. But it's spelled in a way that makes us Americans want to say like Kellogg or something. That, um, that's another thing is there is a fairy character in the film. Yes. Who I believed the entire time was named Ashley. <laughs> yeah. Spelled in the American like American A-S-H-L-E-Y. sense. A S H L E Y. Yes. Yeah. But it's spelled like it's I think it's Ashling. It, it looks like Iceling on paper and it's pronounced Ashling. Yeah. Um, but it based, does kind of sound like Ashley. Which is based off of a poetry type, an Irish poet. Like, I well, think. I think it's a like the Ashling are like a type of fairies in old poetry. Mm-hmm. And so the like character of, of Ashling poems. in this is kind of a representation of those fairies. Yes. And the spirit of the woods type thing. And also, I I just love, I do, we'll talk about it more in the third film because it's, it's called Wolfwalkers, but I love the design of their wolves in their yeah, films. Yeah, they have dragon snouts, <laughs> and it's great. They're very menacing. Wolves. They are. Um, and I, I, I wasn't able to um, look too much into it, but I just have to imagine, based on watching these movies, that like there is a long, bloody, terrifying history that the Irish people have with wolves. Uh, just because they seem to be an ever-present threat throughout <laughs> Irish mythology. It's funny to think, too, that when I was watching Song of the Sea, I was like, there's not enough wolves. Yeah, I feel like, like there should the be wolves? more wolves in this. Too many owls. Too many owls, and yeah. Too the, many the elves, The elves and oh, the, the owls. Elves, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, with the Book of Kells, uh, hilariously enough, it's funny that we won't go from, you know, with the rise of Selick, you know, Night Before Christmas is cut and dry, 75 minutes it's very simple and straightforward, but it's the animation and the design that makes mm-hmm. the film striking and really captures the eye. And that's the same thing with The Secret of Kells. Yeah. There's just a lot to this that like, you can absolutely dive into after the fact and be like, oh, that's what that's supposed to be referenced to. That's super cool. That's what a Krom Krulik is. Yeah. And that on, was a really cool That was sequence. so... The Krom Kruak. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but... Um, to all our Irish listeners, we are so sorry if we are butchering <laughs> these things. Um, we, will, we will happily go on any podcast that will make us look even more like fools to make up for it. Yeah, yeah. talk about Irish folklore. <laughs> um, but I was curious about that the Crom Cruach figure, who in the movie is kind of portrayed as this sort of nebulous dream serpent creature, yes, um, who exists sort of in its own little ethereal realm um and i was kind of looking into that because i was it you know reminded me of other serpents in mythology and that sort of thing um and it turns out like crom kruak is a very vague concept in irish mythology and like has never really had like a discrete physical form well it's, yeah because um, if you look up at wikipedia crom kruak it is just a like a tree with an eye 
in like you, a mouth. Well, there's, yeah, there's a tree it's, with an eye. There's like a short like toe shaped dude oh, with beautiful. a single eye. Oh, um, and I guess like Krom Kruak, like the name basically just means like a mess or like just like a, a tangle of things. Probably chaos or something yeah, like that. Yeah, which basically, I mean, then makes sense watching the movie because it basically looks like this snake that's just coiled up uh, in itself and all so cool. uh, that was tangled some up. I mean, that was that reminded me of the shit that I would love in Greek mythology of just like the tricking of gods yeah. and mythical creatures yeah. and deities, because he because basically, uh, Brendan, right? Brendan, the, yeah. He's the lead that for some reason it's because Brendan Gleeson <laughs> is in the film. He's uh, Brendan is played by Domal Gleeson. No, no, he's uh, not. <laughs> but no, Brendan, our, our protagonist, he thwarts Kronkarok in the most beautifully like old school way of just like making him get tangled in his own self yeah pulling off his eye and then yeah. Kruak just eats himself because he doesn't know where else to go yeah so he just starts eating things and it turns out he's eating himself just, which is cool as like brendan's leaving his domain you can see yeah the um Krom Kruak kind of turn into the classic serpent eating mm-hmm. itself iconography. Oh, so yeah. good um there's, a, really I mean, cool. there's just a lot of love and care put into this film, and I've been both the directors Tom Moore and Nora Tomei, and everyone at the time, because I think at the time they were making this film, because this film does take ten years to make, mm. off and on, because they were doing work at the time, which was really keeping the lights on for them. They were doing work for other companies. I think they did work at a certain point, whether just locally or even internationally, for I think Disney, oh, and yeah. for Cartoon Network, and like then they did a lot of other brands and. Well, those were keeping on the lights. I believe it was 12 <laughs> animators that were working on this film. Mm-hmm. And so like, there were certain points where, like, because I watched this with my roommate, and we were watching, and he was like, wait, is that Flash animation? It's like, some of this looks like Flash. <laughs> and I'm like, it could be, but you got to understand, like, this is yeah. an independent animation studio. Like, right. most of this, and if not all of it, is 2D hand-drawn. It's just... When it comes to the in-betweens, it's it's very expensive to make films like this. Yeah, well, and I mean, just think about on a shoestring budget, how they're like kind of pushing the confines of animation while they're doing it. Oh, absolutely. They're not in any way trying for the Disney style or you know anything kind of recognizably feature animated film. You know, they're they're really this. All three of these movies look like more what I tend to expect from animated shorts where they're just really pushing mm-hmm. what is intelligible visual storytelling, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a ton of, uh, what do they call it? False perspectives in their art oh. style where it's like, yes, instead of a landscape far away being shown at an angle, like it would be kind of on the horizon. It's shown in like 2d, like perfect square, like yes. a, a yeah. city off in the distance instead of being, you know, kind of skewed by perspective is just a square on the horizon, it's just great. flatly drawn on there. And it's, it's, there are certain scenes where it like kind of messes with you. You're like, what am I looking at? And then you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, there's a shot, there's several scenes where it shows Brennan going in and out of a hole to get out of Kells. And in that yeah. scene, he is going behind, he's going behind walls, he's going over rocks. But the thing is that it's entirely 2D flat. Yeah. So the there's depth no perception, there's no that. depth, there's no dimension to it. So it's like you have to go, oh, that rock's in the midground. <laughs> that's in the foreground. That's in the background. This is so much more interesting than like yeah. the usual sense where it's like you can kind of see the depth the most. 
Yeah. It's like, I mean, this I, is so much more fun. I guess just on a really basic level, it, f- it engages you as a viewer, forces you to like be interacting with the image in front of you and thinking, parsing different elements from one another. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. you're kind of more traditional animation. It like, it's just easier to digest. So you're just like, not as, not as compelled to like hang on every frame and figure out exactly what's happening in front of you. No, yeah. It, it's also, again, like you brought up earlier, it is a specific style. Like mm-hmm. the way they describe this style is basically Middle Ages and uh, stained glass. Yeah. That was the one thing that I thought of constantly while watching the film. And to hear Tom Moore say, like, yeah, we're going for a stained glass approach, it was like, okay, good. Yeah. Because the designs of the people say that. Mm-hmm. Certain shots and scenes feel like, you know, you're looking at tapestries on a wall. Right. And you for know, a movie about an illuminated manuscript to look like an amu- illuminated yes. manuscript is uh, perfect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, there's just so much effort and energy put into this. And it's one of those situations where it's pretty clear that, like, they were just hoping to get international appeal, I would assume, awards-wise, because in terms of budget, I think it's not the highest of their budgets. I think that ends up being yeah. Wolfwalkers. But ultimately, when it comes to, like, you know, being shown in theaters, like, at least in the States, I think this was in less than, like, 3,000 theaters, or at least yeah. less than, like... But I think, fun fact, I think this was... G Kids' first feature animated theatrical distribution would not surprise um, me, which is just interesting to think about because I think of anime when I think of G Kids, but yeah. like they're all over the place. But it makes sense that like they they bite their teeth into the animation markets that like most people don't think about, like French right. animations, yeah. Irish animation, yeah. you know, and just the fact that like when you yeah now we think of G Kids, they now become more prolific enough that they're doing Ghibli runs every year in right. theaters. <laughs> right. When ultimately, like, yeah, they were doing this Song of the Sea and Wolfwalkers much early on, much earlier mm-hmm. in that regard, and I think it's a good. I think it's a good idea to do that because again, it's like it's watching this film where I go, God damn, yeah, like the thing about animation, and it goes to like you know Japanese animation, French. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Animation in general is just such a vast category, yeah. especially when you like talk about film. That it's like you can put so many different subcategories. There's just so much that could be right. touched on. I mean, I remember like a few years ago, like Netflix doing I Lost My Body. Like that oh, French yeah. film is also, I mean, again, that's an animated film. Yeah. And it's so fucking weird and wild and really well done. <laughs> and it's like this is technically in the same category as The Secret of Kells right. and Toy Story and you yeah. know, Pocahontas. And it's like, you know, with animation, it's like. It's. I feel like it needs a lot more asterisks next to its like <laughs> descriptions compared to other genres yeah. in that regard. But and with the Secret of Kells, it is definitely like, the first time I remember seeing anything about this film. And I don't. It might be different for you, but like this was, I think, one of the early like Netflix when they started doing streaming. Mm-hmm. This is one of the earlier films they had. Oh, okay. Like, cause I remember there was like an era where it was like, you know, they had like, you know, District 9, they had some, you know, random rom-coms here and there. Right. And then like when it came to animation, it's like, because I have seen the picture of, uh, I'm trying not to butcher her name, Ashling. Ashling, yeah. <laughs> Ashling's face through the leaves. Right. I've seen that poster a thousand times. Oh, okay. And so like ultimately like when that I think it also ran I wouldn't be surprised if they did like a Cartoon Network run at one point with yeah, the film and probably. like because this film has the 
again, has the nature and has the energy of like a Disney film, but mm-hmm. at the same time, the design and the approach to the story and also the tone at times feels closer to like non DreamWorks, non American, I mean, non American studios in yeah. terms of like, especially the ending. This film ends in such a dark manner. <laughs> I initially thought that we were watch. I was watching a prophecy fake out. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, this is like, this is someone seeing what could happen that's really bad. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, no, the really bad thing is the, the finale yeah, to this the film. The impending threat happens. Yes. And, yeah. And, and does it, it's not stopped. Like it just happens. Yeah. Um, but that was something I was reading is very, and of course this is an ignorant perspective, but it seems very prevalent in Irish mythology of like lighthearted whimsy that ends on a really kind of dour, bleak, and weirdly realistic note. Um, yeah. That well, seems to be a common theme throughout Irish folklore. Um, I mean, that's, that's seems well re- represented here because yeah. this is largely a very lighthearted movie. Yeah. Um, it, it also seems pretty much indicative of Middle Ages. Yeah. Yeah. Folklore it's like again, when life around you is depressing, <laughs> your yeah. stories are bound to take some of that on. Yeah, because like you have situations with, like a more popular story, like the Green Knight. Yeah. The original ending to that story is fucking hilariously wild, <laughs> where it's like, do you even know what the original ending is? Uh, where no. it's like. From what I remember when that film came out, was it last year that it came out? God, it's... Yeah. I was going to say, it was my favorite film of last year, I believe, or the year prior, but it's been it a It was last year, I think. Yeah, but when I when we watched the film, I was like, I'm curious about the, how the original story ends, and it basically is like the Green Knight, he fights the Green Knight, and uh, is it Galahad? Is that who... The main character? Yes. Or, um, is it Gwen? Gosh, it's... I can't yeah, it's Gawain or Gawain. Gawain, yes, yeah. thank you. I was trying to my my King Arthur mythology is also <laughs> a little rusty, but when Gawain doesn't kill the Green Knight and comes back and says, "I'm sorry, guys, I lied. Like I didn't yeah. do it." It's like everyone goes like, "Ah, we've done. All, we've all had a lie before. It's all good. <laughs> Just remember not to do it again." Yeah, and it's like this is how it ends. Lesson learned, I guess. <laughs> it's like I guess so. This is very odd. Yeah. And so, yeah, the way that this film ends feels indicative of the art style it's going for. But it still is pretty shocking compared to what the rest of the film is like in terms yeah. of just tone and pacing. It's also 75 minutes. So, like, when the last 15 are, like... Yeah, it really ramps up. Quite. Yeah, where it goes, like, oh, you got bad ending. It's like, <laughs> bad ending? <laughs> what? <laughs> we didn't I, get time for this. Yeah. I really liked the, uh, like, the ending ending kind oh, of the yes. epilogue. I I, I just thought... I don't know why it kind of reminded me of like the ending of Lord of the Rings or something like these big kind of sweeping endings that sort mm-hmm. of condense a lot of time into a very brief little epilogue. And yeah. like, Oh, here's a little kind of, yes, there was suffering and failure, but here in the end there's hope kind of thing. It has yeah. my favorite shot in the film, which is when, um, is it the triptych? No, the, I mean, the, the triptych is great. I yeah. love all the triptychs that are in each one of these films yeah. is phenomenal. But no, it's the shot where um, the the brother from Iona that basically introduces it's brother Aiden. Yeah. When Aiden introduces, you know, Brennan, when they are leaving and he's teaching him the ways when Aiden dies, the way that they symbolize that with not showing his death, but to show that his footprints in the sand go away mm-hmm. as the tide comes in. And it's only Brennan's footprints. It's like, that's so, that's so wonderful. That's a nice, <laughs> nice tie. And yeah, then the very last shot is like the look into the book of Kells and the way they just animate 
just the little taste you get of the Kells is just so good. It's like yeah. it really gives you like this is the this is a you know pop like this is an Irish artifact that needs to be beloved for the rest of time. Like yeah. it has that that power, that kind of weight to it. Yeah, it was kind of interesting and a little bit odd to me because like watching this movie. I had totally forgotten what the Book of Kells was. I believe I learned in like art appreciation in college, but um, totally forgot that it was the Gospels um, and kind of remembered that through watching through the like little, you know, implications, the little religious kind of implications they make throughout the movie. And then at the end, the imagery that we see of the Book of Kells, there's um, kind of a representation of what looks like Brendan but then kind of turns into the Book of Kells version of Jesus. Yes. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> it's, no, it's, yeah, because, like, his his trek back to Kells leads to certain shots that are clearly shots of Brennan in, like, Jesus, like, iconic Jesus yeah, poses yeah. and, like, you know, him around crowds speaking the gospel. Yeah. and So that was kind of an, a funny and interesting turn right at the end of the movie of like mm-hmm. these parallels of brendan and jesus it's like oh okay the soul the spirit is in him yeah. and now he's putting it in the world with the book of kells yeah. and yeah it's a delightful film i really enjoyed it and i'm so glad i finally watched it and i honestly think when it comes to directorial debuts while well just debuts for studios in general while this is like clearly not the best animation wise that saloon has Compared to other studios that have started off, like this has held up better than like. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, this might be a controversial opinion. This is someone who loves Toy Story, but I think this <laughs> has aged better than Toy Story. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's. But it's different animations, it's mediums. Destined so. to age better than stuff that's like animated in a more straightforward way because yes. it's so stylized and so yeah. otherworldly that it like it just. It doesn't uh, wear the stains of being made in the time that it was made. Like yes. it looks like it could have been made, you know, a thousand years ago if they had mm-hmm. animation back then. But you know, it's it just has that kind of timeless quality about it. Yeah, which is I think one of the, again one of the benefits of two D and why it's so nice to see two yeah. D keep being used because it's like while three D is getting better and better with each film, that also means. That you know the earlier 3D animated films tend to age a little worse, yeah, because it's at that was the best at the time, right? I also, yeah, I think industry wide, there's been kind of a, a flawed ambition of like just trying to make the most detailed, realistic animated movies, oh yeah, possible, and it's yeah. like movies like that movies like this trilogy are just like proof that like you're better off expanding into weird representations of life through animation rather yeah. than realistic because <laughs> yeah. like you're just bound to age and and kind of fall to time the more kind of realistic you try to go when you're working against the con- constraints of your technology oh yeah it definitely shows again i mean it shows what American films like Into the Spider-Verse and Mitchell's have shown where it's yeah. like it's better to use 3D to complement 2D or vice versa than to automatically be like yeah. neither one should be together. Only one should be here and not the other. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's nice to see Secret of Kells. Secret of Kells. See, I fucking did it there. <laughs> where it's like clearly there's moments that use CG in terms of like, I mean, the last shot, I'm pretty sure the whole like illuminated book of Kells. Uh, yeah. I think a little bit cause the holographic nature of it. And 
adding more effect to I think just that's the look. Probably the only yeah part of the movie, and that's not even you know visually that's kind of divorced from the narrative because yeah. it's kind of like our segue into the credits sort mm-hmm. of. But it's um, it shows that even a film that is so strictly hand drawn is trying to keep yeah. that two D style. Is it a, isn't afraid to be like we kind of do need three D for this moment to show kind of how profound and how game changing this text is compared to the other texts we've seen. Cause that's another cool thing too, that like you'll see in the other trilogy films where it's like, they use different techniques and animation, even different animation styles to kind of show, you know, a different change or a dichotomy between two different cultures. And it's really cool to see like at the very last moment in a film, that's so beautiful stained glass flat to just be like, this is the new era and like it's still 2d but also it's really fucking pretty isn't it (laughs) it also kind of like holographic and coming right at you and it's yeah just really well done and it's good that i'm glad that like the film now gets more love being tied to song of the sea and wolfwalkers who are i believe objectively more popular just because well then they just got seen a lot more (laughs) yeah i mean that too and so it's like and speaking of going to the next film uh-huh. You know, their second feature is also the second film in the Irish Folklore Trilogy, which is 2014 Song of the Sea. The only film in the three films that is modern day or yeah, well, more modern. More contemporary. I think it's yeah. set in the 90s. Is it the 90s? I believe so. I thought it was the 80s. <laughs> I mean. I know, but there's certain, there's certain late shots. Late 20th century. Like, yeah. It's compared to the other two, which is, again, Secret of Kells is Middle Ages. Yeah. And Wolfwalkers is 17. 17- the 17th century, century yeah. 17th century ireland and so it's fast like again going to the song of the sea being like oh so we're not like in a world where it's like tvs don't exist and this yeah. is scary because like you just have to go outside or something like that right no song of the sea is i think is a massive improvement in a lot of ways compared to secret of kells not in terms not because the animation wasn't phenomenal in the first film but narratively speaking I think it's just a lot more engaging, and there's a the lot more to it. Characters have more depth. They do, um, which I think is maybe. I mean, well, I'll hold off on saying that. But yeah, there's there's definitely a more concerted effort to kind of create a character arc here, yeah. whereas the first one was kind of telling a broader story through a couple characters mm-hmm. like a, those like characters a, don't necessarily undergo like huge emotional no no cycles. no it's, it's like a folklore uh, it's yeah. like a folk tale and, and yeah. this is a little bit more like yeah you you've got kind of the central two which are a brother and sister figure and the brother's got hang-ups uh with his sister about his mom who died when he was young and and, and blames his younger sister for yeah, killing their mom kind of sort of died in childbirth i guess is the implication um until you find out that it's much more <laughs> mythical and magical yeah, than yeah. that but yeah the film goes it goes from kells being more of a folk tale to song of the sea being more like a bedtime story yeah this feels yeah. like something that you could read to kids because the look of the film is very much a lot of blues, a lot of vibrant kind of soft tones compared uh-huh. to the hard edges. Again, going from stained glass to a much more smoother kind of like watercolory look to it. Yeah, I would say Wolfwalkers and Kells have a lot more in common visually yes. than Song of the Sea, yes. which takes a much yeah kind of 
smoother, more refined approach to the animation. It's still got their kind of trademark texture. Yeah. Still feels like it's animated kind of on paper or you oh, know, yeah. scrapbooky sort well, of. Well, when the mythical creatures show up, it's like there's Saloon. Yeah, yeah. There's what I. That's like the ideas and the designs yeah. that I'm used to seeing and whatnot. Um. But yeah, there's this one. So Secret of the, there we go again. Secret of Kells uh, was basically a recreation of kind of a, this or a retelling of this folkloric mythological story. Um, Song of the Sea is more like kind of quote unquote modern day people coming into contact with figures yeah. of Irish mythology, yeah. beings, entities of Irish mythology. I, the best way I could sell this film to somebody with them kind of getting a glimpse, kind of like getting a grasp of the feel to this film, especially with Saloon saying that Miyazaki is such a big influence. <clears throat> the, Song of the Song of the Sea has elements of, in my mind, uh, Ponyo and Spirited Away. Yeah. And a lot of its inspirations in terms of its character designs, in terms of its narrative... In terms of just the sea being a big proponent of the story and just mm -hmm. a, it's not being a scary place. It's more just a beautiful, vast, you know, adventurous place that you just you, you'd have to be there just to see how cute those seals are. Yeah. Like there's just there's more, I think, Miyazaki in this film than I see in the other two, which is not a bad thing. Well, and it's just with the <clears throat> the mythological presences in this being kind of a vessel for exploring grief on the part of the main character Absolutely. is very Miyazaki, very spirited away. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I really enjoyed how this one kind of takes pieces from Irish folklore and just kind of, it's almost like teaching Celtic mythology yes. through yes. this story. Um, whereas I think Kells is more like, reliant on either you knowing or like knowing them the folklore already or it's just kind of like you're along for the ride yeah here's yeah. a fun little representation of a bunch of folklore and then in this it's a little more like we kind of explain to you what these different figures mean and what they do yeah, and how they interact with the world it's got the energy of an 80s film like for kids where it's like these kids are just going off like walking in the middle of nowhere with no adults just being like i'm totally fine i know exactly where i'm going yeah in interwined like entwined with like magical creatures you know time ticking time clocks that like it could be the end of certain kind of races and the introductions of selkie yeah and depression and all these different things where it's like at a base level it's just two kids going on an adventure but of course you add the other elements to it, and then you add the saloon style, yeah, and the the Irish inspirations, and you get a film that is, I would say, a lot more approachable than Kells. And that's someone who, again, thinks Kells is great, but thinking like, I'm not surprised that when people talk about Song of the Sea, there's a much more emotional connection to it than Kells. Because mm -hmm. I, I see people when they talk about Song of the Sea being like. This film made me cry. While I was with uh, Kells, it's yeah. like, oh, this is a damn this good debut. Cute. This is pretty. <laughs> this is really good. While I was with Song of the Sea is literally about an older brother not only coming to terms with the death of his mother, but learning how to be a good big brother. Brother, yeah. Which is, you know, because, again, it's like you're watching this whole film being like, this film's going to pull that rug, and it's going to make me sad. <laughs> and they know exactly what they're doing, and they shouldn't feel bad when they do that. <laughs> <laughs> but what's great, too, is, like, unlike... The other two films, there's this is also the the only film in the trilogy where like 
there is technically a quote-unquote antagonist, but overall, in, in actuality, the antagonist is more of just the the ticking time. Like, mm-hmm. the like kind of Sersha as a character trying to just keep her alive. Because, like, yeah. the evil Macha, or is it Maka? Maka. Maka, Macha, good lord. It looks like Macha. Yes, it does. But Maka, who is supposed to be... Maka looks like, to an, like an Irish... Uh, version of the big nosed horrible woman that i can't remember from spirit away (laughs) yeah yeah and but her whole thing of just being like she does not see herself as an evil villain she is just trying to take depression sadness agony from people and sees herself as a hero from taking on the burden of everyone else's sadness is like holy shit yeah, it's this a is very... so much different than I was expecting. Yeah, it's less of a villainous too. presence and almost more of like a kind of cautionary tragedy. Like, because yes. basically the the role of the Maka, and, and I don't know how much this is, you know, a, an exact translation from Irish folklore, but in the movie, the kind of clear allegory of the Maka is that it serves the purpose of like bottling up your emotions, literally so that you don't have to feel them to to kind of hide from the pain by bottling yeah. up your emotions mm-hmm. but that in turn turns people to stone including kind of, her own son yeah including Mach-Lear. her son um so it's it's you know that kind of she's trying to do a good thing she's trying mm-hmm. to save her son and people from pain but what she's really doing is trapping them within themselves yeah. by doing that. there's even a, a funny kind of coincidental like maybe not coincidental but like element to like compared to like peter pan where it's like in peter pan especially in like stage plays of peter pan usually whoever plays uh Mr. Darling ends up being Captain Hook. In oh the, yeah, in the kind of yeah. And in this film, uh, yeah. you have uh, Brendan Gleeson who plays the father this time around. Instead of the uncle that doesn't let Brendan do his thing, he plays sad lighthouse dad, dad that is yeah. so depressed he can't be a good father to his kids. <laughs> I swear this film is a lot more cute than it yeah. sounds. While his mother is uh, played by let me look, uh, Flanula Flanagan. <laughs> I shouldn't have looked. But uh, his mother in the film, who they just call Granny, of course, both Gleason and Flanagan play MacLear and Maka, respectively. So yeah. not only are they playing a mother-son-mother uh, mother dynamic that is very strained and is clearly very repressed emotions on both sides, they're also playing mythical beings where one is frozen by his own agony yeah. and the other one is holding that agony like holding that to make sure that he doesn't feel that pain yeah. it's like yeah that's some fun kind of comparison yeah. it's also interesting duology. that the uh kind of in a similar vein the character design of the grandmother um which the basically the dad sends these two siblings his his children to live with their grandmother to kind of be away from him and he mm-hmm. doesn't feel like he can take care of them and he's going to live on the island that they were born on alone to live out his days and be depressed and stuff um again they, this film is a lot more fun than <laughs> they our go, description they go to live on the mainland with their grandma and their grandma is kind of a sourpuss right not very fun doesn't want them to live the life that they've been living and uh she's kind of a bummer her character design bears a lot of resemblance to that of maka mm-hmm. um and serves kind of not not necessarily like a 
similar purpose in the world, but like a similarly antagonistic force. And it's interesting when Maka shows up and you're like, yeah, "Ah, that's the grandma. Well, it was cool too, because again, like when you see Maka, it's like at the very end of Ben and Cersei's journey. Yeah. Where it's like, you've been hearing a lot of Maka. I think you've seen Maka's eyes at that point, but you really haven't seen a full body shot of Maka. So when she shows up and you're just like, Oh, it's the grandma. <laughs> they really just designed each one to complement each other in terms of their antagonistic, quote unquote, like yeah. kind of purpose in the stories. It's fun just to see that amount of cheekiness and that just input and, you know, kind of, I don't know. There's just so much. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, yeah. There, there's just, this is a really cool kind of, ex- this movie is a really cool example of like how you can take familiar mythologies not familiar to us but familiar to irish people um and use them to tell more modern stories while also teaching people the origins and the purposes of those mythologies i mean the whole you mentioned selkies a little bit ago selkies are kind of the the main i guess main kind of myth being played on they're magical creatures in irish folklore that can shed their human skin and become seals they shed their seal skin to become become human human. they're basically flipped of course it is they're like beautiful creatures from the sea that when they're in the water they're seals and they're super fun and cool and then when they come on land they shed their skin revealing their human selves and they're Mm. typically but not always women and the like kind of classic story of the selkie is selkie comes on land she's a beautiful woman falls in love with a land man Mm -hmm. um and you know they live a nice life until it like ends in tragedy which is the premise of this movie which is the premise of a lot Um, of like old folklore like that and it's also clear too in this version it's also like they're giving the selkie a bit more of like an agency in terms of their goals in life. Cause like the whole thing about the Selkie is that if they are kind of full fledged in their abilities and their strengths, they're able to basically heal, basically heal the world in a way where they can just kind of open up. And, and some people who are passed away, like there's a whole thing of just like, they constantly say the Selkie needs to be here with the conch and the coat. And if they wear them together and they put it together and they sing the song, they should be able to let us go free. Yeah. Let our souls go into the afterlife, basically. And mm-hmm. it gives that kind of it gives the Selkie kind of this agency when you're watching that of like, okay, so they're not just cool seal people. <laughs> they actually have a they have a very interesting kind of purpose. Purpose that ultimately shows that you know, it's the dichotomy between repression and just accepting all the feelings mm-hmm. because the the coolest thing about the ending is that when they when they succeed and Sersha finally becomes a full-fledged selkie to let everyone's feelings and like their souls let go it's like okay this is a very interesting idea of just um using like the the, the difference between like our main antagonist being like no it's better to hide your emotions while as mm-hmm. with with the selkie it's like they're using them as like a embrace the darkness and the light and just use that to better yourself in the future and use that especially perfect the fact that like when she shows up it's when the dad finally comes back into the story (laughs) because the dad's kind of gone for the most part yeah oh my gosh there's all we haven't even talked about the old man the old hairy man oh yeah 
there's a uh, there's a there's a a boat captain that shows up from time to time that helps ferry Brennan Gleason's character over to the mainland to drink and come yeah, back. It's like yeah. his closest friend who rarely talks, but that same actor also plays another Irish folklore kind of mm-hmm. mythical creature called. Oh my God! Uh, the great S E A N A C A I, the great Sinatra. <laughs> I can't. I don't even. I didn't even remember his name. The, um, I think it's the great Sianchi. I oh, think okay. something around that line. Basically, there's this. It's in Irish, I believe. It's like the old one or the like the old lore. Mm-hmm. And in the character and in the film, he is basically the lore keeper that lives in a cave, and also all the lore is in his hair. Yeah. And so you get some fun animated kind of comedic bits that kind of lighten up the mood. Because at that point, Saoirse has been kidnapped. Yeah. And then Ben's trying to figure out what to do next. But then you have some great moments with how the hair kind of ties everything back together. How the (laughs) hair kind of shows Ben more of the truth of what happened to his mom. And Mm -hmm. not the full truth, because ultimately we don't find out until the very end that his mom was like, yeah, I just... uh, I I kind of die, but also I kind of turn into stone. Like, yeah. eh, <laughs> it's like okay, fine, <laughs> it's okay. You're a selkie, you can do what you want. But I mean, yeah, it's there's a lot to this film. I think compared to Secret of Kells as well. Like the, these are both very dense films, but I think for different reasons. And I think both films also have the strengths again of just like you don't have to dig too deep in it because it it approaches yeah. it like. It's kind of like you can pull more meaning out of it if you want or if you're, you know, wanting yeah, to look yeah. more into the mythology of it, but it's also a pretty compelling just straightforward story. Like it's not yeah, it's 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 in the same kind of vein of like the approach that they try to do with like what Disney did with Mulan and Hercules and maybe something like Pocahontas where it's like there's a bit more mythology wise in there that they're not gonna explain. Yeah. They're not gonna really explain too much about like how accurate to lore Mushu is. Yeah. But he what he works for in the story is enough to introduce that idea as a concept and also if you're interested you can do more research on that. Mm-hmm. And with these films it has that case with both Kells and C where you get especially in C where you get you get fairies, you get Selkie, you get the great the old lore keeper that I don't want to say his name cuz I'm going to butcher the <laughs> shit out of Maka you get some cute seals, the cutest seals I've ever seen in an animated film. Yeah, and you get some, you get some good Irish tunes. You get yeah. some cute, you get some cute, and apparently, I think this also is a film that was entirely dubbed in subbed in Irish or dubbed in Irish. Yeah, and if you buy the DVD or Blu-ray, I think you can put just Irish. Oh, like old Irish? Yeah, I think oh, wow. so. I think so. Um, but yeah, the with the... Gleason reprising his role as the dad in MacLear. <laughs> The song, I think all of them, or at least most of them, the like songs sung in the movie are traditional Irish songs from like yeah. old folklore, um, and a lot of them, I a lot of them, from my understanding, are kind of like they're kind of nonsense songs, but the movie sort of makes meaning out of them for the story, which is cool. Oh yeah, it's it it seems very much like fun, just like how we we were taught like you know ring around the rosy and stuff mm-hmm. where it's like as a kid you're not really thinking about <laughs> just where that started and what yeah. what was that initially entailing it's just for kids it's like especially growing up it's you hear a catchy tune mm-hmm. that adds a little story to it and 
in the Irish sense, it's a lot more about mythical creatures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, God, I just thinking about it, like, going through it again, there is just so much. There is just a lot to these films that, like, it is pretty clear about how it, it could be a bit difficult to sell these in American markets a oh, little yeah. bit. And not in a way that, you know, Americans can't enjoy the film. Of course, you can. But at the same time, ultimately what happens is you, if you're not fully just going into the film being like, this is not entirely made for me, it's made for everybody, but also specifically Irish folk. <laughs> it's especially, it's specifically like, this could be loved by everybody, but ultimately, I don't know what the fuck a Selkie is, <laughs> but it's I'm going to learn, but I'm going to learn. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, that's how I felt about Banshees of Inisherin. Mm-hmm. um, the new Martin McDonough movie, which is, I really enjoyed it. It's a great movie. Um, but the whole time I was like, I can tell I would have a deeper appreciation for this if I was Irish. <laughs> it's like the weird, like kind of, uh, concept where you squint, even though it has nothing to do with, you can't see. It's just like, you feel yeah. like you have to, to be like, you can maybe see the w- better when you yeah, squint, maybe the words will show up in my yeah. face and explain you, things. When I you're squint. trying to park and you turn the radio off, you're like, I can park better if I can hear. Yeah. If I could concentrate like yeah. this and you know, with these films, it's like, thankfully, I do feel like these films have gotten a bigger base with younger generations. I mean, mm-hmm. The Secret of Kells, I only like realized how good of a film that was is because my sister, one of my sisters, saw the film and was just like, you got to watch this. Oh. I'm like, how the fuck did you, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, I don't and, think and I, was, I had heard of it until we decided to do this. And he's, she's like, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's Secret of Kells, it's on Netflix and one. I was like... Why did you watch it? It's, it's good? Wait, I'm the that? movie sibling. No, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> it was more like it's one of those films where it's like you – these films definitely have the vibe mostly that you have to go out of your way to find. Yeah. Because unfortunately it's one of those – like Two out of three aren't available for streaming, only rented. Yes. and But at the same time, it's – it also shows that like this is before a time where I think more American audience were willing – to dive into more of a foreign market and even yeah. more European or Irish and kind of go into be like, oh yeah, not all foreign animation is Japanese <laughs> or Korean or Chinese. There is some, there's animation in Europe as well as in German in in Russia. There's all these different types of avenues where it's like, you just don't see them a lot often because when it comes to best animated feature, we know who wins and we know who gets the most buzz yeah, right. <laughs> nine times out of ten when they're up there. And thankfully, when it comes to both of these films, they did get nominated for Best Animated Feature. Uh, Secret of Kills? I thought. No, no, no. That was the only one that didn't. Yeah. Because um, I think. Wolfwalkers and Song of the Sea yes. both got nominated. And The Breadwinner, which is the yes. film that's in between the two films in our trilogy, uh, directed by Nora Tume, who did, who co directed uh, Secret of Kells. So yeah, when it comes to Song of the Sea, is now at this point where it's like this is—it's almost a decade old, mm-hmm. and it definitely deserves to be watched. The same with Secret of Kells, but thankfully, I think they're getting watched more and more now because of our last film. Because after 2014, we get we get another film from Cartoon Saloon called The Breadwinner, which is not Irish in any sense of the term. Mm-hmm. It's a Middle Eastern tale, uh, which I believe is during the—I mean, I think it's. During like the rise of the Taliban, I yeah, think is when I that think happens, so. and it was, 
you know, it got again, I've got a best animated feature nom because I think again it goes Song of the Sea, that uh, the breadwinner, and then our next film, Wolfwalkers, is mm-hmm. by far the most popular film of the trilogy as well as it of got Saloon. An Apple pickup. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like again, when it comes to distribution for Kells and Song of the Sea, while I think Song of the Sea got much more distribution, got a lot more critical acclaim that I think yeah. it's you know, his its older brother did ultimately it still was like it wasn't a big hit in the states or big mm-hmm. hit outside of ireland i would say so thankfully when it comes to the third film also directed by tom moore which we haven't really talked about as well like tom moore co-directed kells with yeah. cartoon saloon another cartoon saloon founder nor tomei and then did uh, song of the sea by himself mm-hmm. well of course, with a crew of people, but directed that <laughs> he directed solely. It, yeah. And then this is Ross Stewart and Tom Moore. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, while they were, I think, doing pre-production or early work on this film, is when Apple picked it up for their streaming service, Apple mm-hmm. TV Plus. Yeah. So of course, and now I mean, speaking of hard to find now, if you want to watch Wolfwalkers without getting an Apple TV Plus <laughs> account, you can't. Yeah. I think the only way would be to uh, buy the box set. Yes. I think now it's either you have to get Apple TV Plus or get the box set. Yeah. Which I would say. You can buy the Irish Folklore box set, and it's a really nice looking set. Oh, no, I didn't know it was that pretty. You showed me a picture of the other day, and I was like, I did not know they went that out for it. Yeah. Um, But yes, Wolfwalker is kind of brought them a little bit more into the mainstream i mean this movie didn't exactly make buku bucks at least at the american box office it did make the most though it did make the most but i think it made like a million on a 10 million budget i think it was less than that i don't know i think it's yeah it it was like two hundred thousand. Oh, i'm reading a million but that might be internationally i Um, I was gonna say yeah it was on 10 million but i think it definitely made it the most money box office wise compared to the other two yeah um and so while it wasn't like, you know, a big hit at the box office, it did get a lot more press and a lot more awards attention thanks to that Apple distribution, uh, put yeah. it in front of a lot more people. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's, it's I think, in a lot of ways, kind of a continuation of Cartoon Saloon strengthening their ability as visual storytellers. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think this one, like I said earlier, this one shares a little bit more visual DNA with Secret of Kells than uh, Song of the Sea. It looks very hand-drawn, arguably the most hand-drawn of the three. Yes. And I think that was deliberate just Mm -hmm. to give it that kind of storybook feel, old-timey feel. You can literally see the uh, um, like wireframes of characters inside their character models yep. throughout the movie, cool. which is a cool touch. It This is, I would say, out of the three films here, it is worth going through the trilogy not to just introduce yourself to Cartoon Saloon, but also to get to this film. Because in my opinion, Wolfwalkers is the best of the three, and just animation-wise, it is absolutely the best one. Mm-hmm. Because the the design aesthetics, the design kind of philosophy that they have been building up to from the first film in terms of the uniqueness per film, it does have a nice look. The fact that like you see that Kells inspiration, but also the design philosophy is just different enough that it is unique to Wolfwalkers. Where in the film, the main thing is basically you're following a little girl who lives in Kilkenny in the 17th century. 
So we've gone from Middle Ages to modern day, or at least modern-ish day, <laughs> to yeah. 17th century. And it basically is not necessarily a war, but a, a budding feud between the wolves in the forest, who are led by the wolf walkers, mainly uh, Mabe. Mabe, yeah, and, and her mother. And her mother. And uh, Kilkenny, who is le- led by the English at the moment and led by the Lord Protector. Yeah. And it shows that difference in terms of, again, design philosophy. You see everybody that lives inside of Kilkenny is blocky. <laughs> they are stocky. Yeah. They're, their designs are They're a robust clearly, people. They are. They're built to be looked like woodblock designs. Mm-hmm. And then you go into the forest, and there is a flea, f- a free flowing, like kind of yeah, philosophy. Yeah, more curvilinear in and flowy. Yes, a lot yeah. rougher, a lot sketchier. Yeah, I was watching the film today and was going like, God, this this feels scratchier, and I don't know if that's <laughs> the best way to describe it. Then Tom yeah. Moore himself described it as we were trying to make the forest aesthetic a bit scratchier. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, he understands what I feel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the. You see the wireframes, you see the initial kind of designs of, you see the outlines of where, you know, this is where the shoulders are probably going to go, or we're going to design the... When you uh, can see, like, the the brush strokes in the line art of all the characters. Yes. um, Which, I I have no idea, I assume this movie is predominantly, like, hand animated, but the amount of consistency... Uh, that they achieve across this movie with the kind of sort of rough drawn aesthetic they're going for is really impressive. And I have to imagine employs some, some digital trickery, which is not at all uh, a criticism or a bad thing. It's no, no, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I have to imagine there's some kind of blend of digital and, and hand drawn going on here. No. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is it's mainly 2d animation, use basically through a um a program that is using digital brushes to mimic pencil lines so it is entirely digital i believe so and i think because it makes sense because the film is this is probably the crispest of the three films and also some of the i mean there is and i didn't realize this the first time watching it i think this time going through because again seeing the evolution of saloon's designs and animation style it was phenomenal when we got to a point where Robin, our, our protagonist herself, becomes a wolf walker by accident. Right. When you see the first time you see wolf, <sighs> wolf, wolf vision, vision <laughs> wolf vision is fucking cool. Yeah, wolf, it is. Wolf vision is absolutely entirely 3D, but sketched in 2D. All that yeah, is. Yeah, because it's it. They go POV perspective with it because you're yes. seeing through Robin's eyes. And so, yeah, seeing her, like, turn her head and see everything in full 3D, like, totally kind of 2D hand-drawn is crazy um, and gorgeous. And apparently, too, that, like, they even went to a point where the the two biggest films in this sense that they said they were inspired by were the rough sketch animation of The Tale of Princess Kaguya from Miyazaki and... Surprisingly enough, the Xeroxed animation of 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> because a lot of the Wolf Vision stuff, especially when they visualized it, they apparently animated, like, they basically printed it on magenta paper <laughs> and then just did each frame like that as organically and as old school as possible huh. to kind of give it that scratchy look to it. And it ultimately leads into being the best looking film 
they have made so far. And I hope, hopefully My Father's Dragon, which is their latest film that just came out 10 or so days ago, maybe like, oh, a few, wow. maybe like two weeks ago. I don't, I hope it kind of am, amps that up a bit more, but it, it's hard to do that because literally there's so much going on animation wise. Yeah. It very much has the vibe of like, oh my God, this is too CG, but this is 2D. This is all <laughs> a little bit of the stained glass, but now it's like very scratchy. Like one of the best parts that are so very small in the film is when someone gets mad. When they get mad, their lines get more scratchy. They get a little rougher. You can see yeah. the edges a bit more. Also, the screen in certain elements gets smaller. They make the screen smaller as the intensity gets higher in the yeah. scene. And uh, there's just <laughs> so much love and effort put into the film that just reminds... I mean, just reminds me just how much I love animation. Like, these are the type of films... I love to watch where it's like, God damn, this is took so much time and effort and it's, <laughs> yeah. and it worked out gangbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now you can just watch it on Apple TV plus. Right. Um, oh, I'm seeing here. They actually, uh, like most of it, like you were saying was drawn in a digital program, but yes. like the backgrounds and stuff are actually drawings and paintings done mm -hmm. by hand, which makes sense. Paper, Cause there's a lot cool. of, there's a lot of like, brush like kind of like mm -hmm. a watercolor kind of vibe to yeah. it well and this one really pushes kind of what i was talking about on kells which is the like false perspective in the environment yes the, yes like whenever they're out in the hills at the, at the edge of the woods and you can see the town of uh kilkenny in the background and it's just like a square grid on the horizon <laughs> it's, it's like... also funny too that i didn't realize the first time watching it because again i didn't know they were based in kilkenny it's funny watching it now where one of the main characters is just like, ah, Kilkenny just fucking stinks, right? <laughs> it just smells so bad. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it kind of smells. <laughs> it's like, it's funny just there to like... I'm making, assuming that's yeah. an in-joke for Kilkenny Make, locals They're just or making fun of their hometown. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, it's, it is, I think, has the most robust story, I think, out of the three of them in terms of what's going... There's a lot going on in this film to the point where like i think once it hits the hour mark and there's like 40 minutes left it like doesn't stop yeah in a good way but still yeah. it's like holy shit this one is is the longest of the three and i think it feels a little bit long at a certain point but like mm -hmm. it's not like it drags um, no yeah uh but yeah it's kind of the central conflict like you were kind of talking about earlier with the kind of expansion and industrialization and agriculturalization of Kilkenny impeding on the woods and the wolves kind of pushing back then kind of spills out over the top after uh, after Robin herself becomes a wolf walker mm -hmm. and her father who is part of the Lord Protector's guard is kind of trying to stop her from going out and you know uh, carousing with the other wolves um, that all kind of comes to a head when the wolves start um, you know attacking the people of Kilkenny and the people of Kilkenny are attacking wolves and uh, then it all spills out into the woods yeah it, the it, it has the energy that like a lesser film would feel like it would go it would go harder in the paint for like a last of the mohicans or pocahontas uh -huh. approach in terms of like no we we have to build together we have to do this we mm -hmm. have to and then ultimately like while robin is trying to do that it, it also is in the vein of like a childlike innocence 
Yeah. Where she believes that, like, once she finds out that wolf walkers exist, she just believes her dad's going to believe her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this mythical creature's real, Dan. If we just, if you just don't do your job, like, everything will be okay. Right. And this poor man who is trying not to lose his daughter or his livelihood yeah. is like, why are you talking like that? You can't. No. Yeah. Shut up. He's out dealing with the, the harsh realities of human life. Yes. And- which, his daughter's talking about wolf uh, people. And uh, surprisingly, the father is not played by Brendan Gleeson. It is played by Sean Bean, yeah. who is wonderful in the film. spoilers, he does not die. He doesn't die, thankfully. Amazingly. Instead, he becomes a cool-ass wolf himself <laughs> yeah. and gets a new wife, basically. <laughs> yeah, he gets a wolfy wifey. <laughs> yeah, Bags himself a wolfy wife. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that so much. I do think it's funny, though, because, like, the first time watching the film, I think there's a part of me where it's like, it's not that simple, right, in terms of, like, if this all works out, like, there is a dead mom and a dead father, technically, so they could basically become sisters. Oh, yeah. And then I'm watching this, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, both the parents are a little too hot. There's no way yeah. they're not going to put them together. A little too hot and a little too distraught. <laughs> And a little too almost dead at one point. Right, yeah. And thankfully they fixed that. But yeah, it's it's the type of film where of these three, because I think with Kells, its big thing is like for the most part, it's very chill. It's one of these weird situations where it's like while the lingering threat of the Northmen is shown from time to time, overall the main story is not really worried about the Northmen inherently. Yeah, yeah. Like they are in terms of why they're just building like the wall. Exploring the woods. And yeah, like stuff Brennan and doesn't give a shit. The book. Yeah. yeah, he just wants to get that eye. He wants to build that book. Right. And then when the Northmen show up, it's why it feels so jarring because again they just didn't they didn't prepare well enough and they mm-hmm. didn't focus on the right things. And then Song of the Sea, there is that kind of like, you know, there's a chillness to it and they're taking their time to get back home until it becomes a bit more of a ticking time situation when it comes to Shersh's life. Yeah. And then that's when it kind of speed speeds up to the finale. Well, as with Wolfwalkers, it's like as soon as Robin finds out she's a wolfwalker, she confronts Mabe about it. She finds out being a wolf is really cool, which in all <laughs> honesty, being a wolf looks really fucking cool in this film. Uh-huh. I'd want to be a wolf. I won't lie. You already want to be I a wanna, wolf. I know. I, wanna, I, would, <laughs> I would be a werewolf in a monster setting, but now I'd like to be a wolfwalker a little <laughs> bit, especially if I looked like Sean Bean's wolf. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Goodfellow's yeah. wolf is so fucking cool. Wolf. Uh, yeah, because her, na- her full name is Robin Goodfellow, and her dad, I don't remember what her dad's name. I don't I guess either. Daddy Goodfellow is the best way we can describe him yeah. in this right they now. They mostly but refer to him, like his as authorities, Goodfellow. as Goodfellow, yeah. Uh, which I also love, I will say, I, I brought the Pocahontas kind of similar, like, kind of comparison, but the Lord Protector kind of does look like the main white antagonist from Pocahontas. Oh, yeah. A little looks bit. Looks a lot like A him. little yeah. bit. Just a little bit, but... I- Emma remarked about that yeah. too while we were Which, watching. These these films don't pull any punches in terms of their inspirations. Again, like the whole song of the sea, like Maka looking like the iconic kind of monster, like Granny from Spirit Away. It's pretty clear from the get go. It's mm-hmm. like that's kind of an inspiration here. Or in Kells, in Kells, there's literally a monk character that looks exactly <laughs> like the fucking cobbler from the Thief and the Cobbler. Yeah. To the care to the color palette of their skin to their eyes, and to their hat. They're mm-hmm. wearing the same hat as the fucking cobbler. <laughs> and then you get to this film, and it's like, oh, yeah. 
like it's clear where they're getting this from especially when you look up you know when we saw like you know kaguya and 101 dalmatians it's like oh i see that yeah i can definitely see that in terms of their styles and what they're going for Another thing we haven't really brought up with all three of these films, and this is a name I really don't want to butcher, but I really like I'm zero to I'm batting zero here, <laughs> is the score. The scores uh, of all three of these films are so good. Yeah, well, Bruno Kulai. Sure, Kulai. Um, or, uh, he, I'm gonna let you take that swing. It's with uh, uh, help from Kila, I believe, is yeah. the orchestration. He does. He's like the he leads all the orchestrations and scores for all three films. And, yeah. Uh, well, as, as with oh, so as good. with the visuals and the storytelling elements, the score is pulling from a lot of Irish tradition. Yes. And so there's a lot of instruments, kind of unique or common in traditional Irish music and old like drinking songs and that sort Name of thing. Name ten of those instruments, Andy. I cannot pronounce. <laughs> Well, two of them so um, you're making fun of me earlier <laughs> about not being able to pronounce these yeah well i'm not even gonna try <laughs> good okay um, that's fine there's two uh, ways to handle this <laughs> We're i am the coward um <laughs> but no yeah it's a really cool uh score and a really distinct soundscape just like the visuals um because they're they're creating a very specific uh aesthetic and atmosphere yeah they are and, and it's, they're really committed to that. I think, honestly, as much as I love the scores for all three of these films, I think Kells might be my personal favorite. I think I love sure. the orchestration in Kells a lot. But again, Bruno and his team, I won't say his last name, but they, because <laughs> I don't want to butcher it. I feel bad every time. But they He's do a. Bruno f- to me. <laughs> yes. Uh, they do a phenomenal job with the orchestrations. It's, I, again, it's. Saloon is one of those companies where I think it reminds me of going back to or showing people like early Pixar or like Disney Renaissance or just like the best of an animation studio where it's like you're watching Saloon even when they're not even batting horribly with their animated films you're seeing them genuinely get better each time yeah so it's great to get to Wolfwalkers and feel like fuck this probably should have won best animated feature of the year (laughs) it came out and I looked up what won that year yeah, probably should have. For Wolfwalkers? Yes. Yeah. Uh, listen, and again, I've I still like Soul a lot. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Soul when we first came out, but yeah, I think Wolfwalkers deserved it over Soul, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, Wolfwalkers is just it's it's d- delightful to see this film get a lot of love, especially from Apple of all places. At least yeah. when I saw the ten million budget, I was like. Apple kind of had to fit some of that bill, right? <laughs> like they they probably picked up some of that in the yeah. distribution deal, and the fact that their next uh, their latest film, My Father's Dragon, is picked up by Netflix, mm-hmm. that might be what their futures will go in terms of like being able to show like distribution wise show their stuff a lot to more people because yeah. it's like to go from like Kells being like, is it that one film that might be on Netflix to <laughs> being like My Father's Dragon is like Netflix being like. Here's a new animated film that is part of Netflix. Yeah. Here's Wolfwalkers for Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> Once you're done watching Mythic Quest and Ted Lasso, both shows are actually really good. I actually uh, haven't seen any of Mythic Quest. Yeah, Mythic Quest is actually a lot of fun, and I love Ted Lasso. But it's like it's funny to think that like they're on the same, like, ah, Apple TV original. Yeah. After you've seen Cherry, maybe you should watch Wolfwalkers. <laughs> And then with Netflix, it's like they have so much content that it's like 
Yeah, we got this. We got this for kids. We got a new Cartoon Saloon film, and it's like, excuse me, you got Cartoon Saloon's next film? Yeah. It's like, ah, yeah, it's it's yeah, we're excited about it, but like, you know, we got a new thing we have to push now. It's like, right. oh shit. Like, it's good to see when it gets to like rewatching Wolfwalkers, being like, oh, this is an easy sell. There's nothing here that I can't sell to anybody. Where it's like, you got, you got those inspirations. You can still see. The Thief and the Cobbler, Mulan, Miyazaki inspirations, even mm-hmm. up to this film. I mean, fuck. I'd say, like, there's Mononoke vibes, hardcore. Yeah. With yeah. this film. It's not even as long as Mononoke. <laughs> it's almost there. Yeah. But at the same time, I think Wolfwalkers just excels at almost every angle. And I I don't know if I really have too many issues with the film, but I ultimately wouldn't say it's perfect. Kind of like in that, yeah, in that vibe. Like I it's mean, it's a strong nine out of ten at least for me. Yeah, I mean, I have kind of a consistent, I guess, issue with all three of these movies, and I just think it's like the characterization is a little. It's simple. It's kind of, uh, mm-hmm. so you, I would you, say, lacking in some places. You but hate like, the Irish way of things, right? Is yeah, what I'm yeah, hearing. I hate the Irish. Is the point? Um, <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, they're they're ultimately they're really simple stories, and I think in some ways that leads to kind of main characters that, at least for me, were a little hard to like emotionally connect with. I appreciated the story they were going through and um, all of the mythology they were exploring and the implications of those stories. And I thought mm-hmm. it was a beautiful package. But yeah, it, at at some points, by by the time I'd got to the third film or the end of the third film. Um, I was kind of like, yeah, I guess I guess I wish I had a little bit more emotional resonance here. I can understand that. Yeah. I, I I do think out of the three films, I guess technically because we are both guys, we would probably tie closer to maybe Brendan or Ben. Maybe me specifically Ben just because I am an older brother yeah. of Yeah. But like at the same time, I think I, even with that in mind, I still personally enjoyed the relationship between Robin and Meb. Mm-hmm. Mabe, thank you. Yeah. The most, because I really do love that there is that very basic dynamic of like, what's the what's the town like? It's mm-hmm. so smelly and stinky, <laughs> and it's like no, but like the wool the woods is so cool. I can't believe you live here. Yeah. It's like that, the dynamic that has that classic like new world versus old world, and then like leads to some really good emotional moments that I really enjoy. Actually, I think one of my favorite emotional moments of the film is when. Is is when like his it's when her dad admits that he's scared. Yeah. <laughs> is really well done. It feels it's it's again, I think it also shows that like I am so caught off guard by just good representations of uh, like parents. Mm. Even when they're not great parents, it's just nice to see them <laughs> be treated as people. Sure. Like with I mean, Kells I think is the one that gets away with that less because it's like they're they're showing Abbott Abic is it Calic. Thank you. Yeah. Abic Calic is like he doesn't really show his his, you know, fragility or any kind of, you know, uh itself like insecurities in front of everybody because he's supposed to be the leader. Like yeah. the head monk. So of course he can't do that. But like moving on from that, it's fun to see, you know, in Wolfwalker seeing two parents that are like at ultimately at their core like at a sense, following a system put in place to them where it's like yeah. with Daddy Goodfellow, it's like, listen, we're in the system and I've been told it's supposed to work. And while it's not working for me now, that's all I know <laughs> what to do. Right. Then when uh, 
Mabe's mom uh, gets like you find out that she's been captured by the Lord Protector. She ultimately is like, I'm far gone, kid. There's no way you can save me. I'm definitely dead. Like the people are just been taking down her forest. Like you just have to keep my daughter alive. And right. it's like they're just accepting things as the way they are when both Mabe and Robin are like, fuck that. <laughs> like we can actually do a difference here and change things and actually try to grow as people and it's like yeah shit you know I, I mean I, I really do think it, the film got better for me on that second watch but I really do I understand your point of view in terms of like they do go through the characterizations really fast mm-hmm. which is why I think it, it does have that approach of like a children's book yeah it definitely like, feels storybook more than kind of yeah what we're used to in like a cinematic mm-hmm. story yeah um, it's like with secret of kells it's like they're treating this like this is an old ass story that everybody knows <laughs> yeah right you know who brendan is you know this is a different take on the book of kells well yeah. song of the sea it's like he's like seven or eight years old <laughs> yeah. a lot of his characterization is he's a dickhead to his sister right because he's dealing with his emotions in a poor naive way yeah and then in wolf walkers it's like it's the most depth in character that you get from a protagonist because she's in her teens, I believe. Yeah. I think Robin and Mabe are just like in that like sweet spot of right before hitting like teens, but like so maybe like tween kind of yeah. age wise. And so you get a lot of good moments of just like a rebellious kind of spirit in both of them in just their own way. And yeah. I mean, yeah, you you can't go wrong with Cartoon Saloon at this point. <laughs> like, I, I even if My Father's Dragon, when I finally watch it, is kind of like a Selleck situation where it's like, ah, it's not as good as Wolfwalkers. I feel like it's still gonna, I'm still gonna have a blast. Yeah, I am interested to see how that one is because I guess I was looking up looking that up a minute ago um, after you'd mentioned it because it wasn't listed on their on Cartoon Saloon's filmography, and I was like, oh, why not? Um, it is Cartoon Saloon is involved with it, but it's a like a collaboration of Netflix Animation. Oh, and Cartoon Saloon. So not, Netflix isn't just distributing it; they're actually part of the creative that is process. Genuinely fascinating um, because of all the news we've heard about their animation department yeah. this year. Right. So to hear that, I mean, so I guess in a, then I guess that gives them a uh, gives them a mulligan where it's like ah the animation's not great it's like it's not entirely saloon yeah yeah it's just a half and half kind of situation um, but it is still directed by nora Twomey, who yeah we who know did from these who did uh yeah did the co-directed secret and also did breadwinner yeah yeah and so good yeah which is great for her and yeah that is the irish folklore trilogy yeah if it's, you know nothing about irish folklore this is a fun little easy entry point yeah, into like, a beautiful world yeah, i was gonna say did you think we did like, yeah we, we did. knew nothing we, we knew nothing we were That's, we've been reading off a of card this whole time i'm telling you right now when when i found out i found out this was a trilogy because i followed g kids and when they were like oh, check yeah. out the irish folklore trilogy <laughs> and i went wait there's three that counts they're all yeah because again i didn't know song of the sea was technically a part of this trilogy because mm-hmm. it doesn't look like like you yeah, said the right. other two so to find that out it was like oh this is a good excuse yeah this is definitely an odd one because this is not something you see especially animation wise and it's it's a it's a breath of fresh air especially yeah, really going from you know kind of the, the height and the best of stop motion <laughs> films in the animation style going to another like side of the world with mm-hmm. animation and seeing how they handle things and you know cartoon saloons a new a new love i can't wait to see what they do next and 
because I think they have another film in development. It's like a puffin. It's like puffin rock. Yeah, or something yeah. like that. I don't think they're very. I think that one's probably pretty far away from release. But yeah. Oh yeah, because there's. I mean, but there's a good consistent like. There's been. I think the longest wait in between films is probably between Kells and Song, which is five. Because it goes. Well, then it'd be six years Song to um, Wolfwalkers. Well, no, because Breadwinner's in between. Oh, right. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. So, like, that's two years. Yeah. So, I think yeah. after Song of the Sea, I so think they- So, they are picking up their rate of production, yeah. which probably well, means that they're doing well. Yeah, because well, when they started, cause I, I, if, I think it might have changed since I looked up, but, like, when Saloon started, they had 12 animators on staff. Mm-hmm. Now, I think they are 300 plus, which okay. is fascinating. And it's also great to see that, like, even as they've been picking up animators, I think after Secret of Kells- they were asked at one point if they wanted to get, you know, become a bigger company, like be sucked up by some other company. And they declined. Yeah. They stayed independent. And I think it's to their benefit because I think their style is definitely important in the animation landscape to see the variety yeah. in this kind yeah. of. Which, again, it's, it's not saying that American animation doesn't have variety to it. It's just nice to see that it's not just dominated by. The Pixar's right. and the DreamWorks and the Disney's, even though they are already being dominated popularity-wise, yeah. it is nice to see intermixed with those films by other creators that are not afraid to do their own thing, but also, you know, put in the love and effort almost as much as those bigger films. Yeah. So yeah, the Irish Folklore Trilogy is absolutely a recommendation across the board from us. Yeah. It's definitely a nice, you know, laid-back kind of you know you don't have to do a lot of history checking but if you're curious you can mm. it is fun to just be like what the what is the crown crew rock <laughs> but you don't have to you can just be like that's a funny word you just be like cool. that's a cool scene that's, i like that i like that it's fun <laughs> but yeah highly recommend it definitely wolf walkers is my personal favorite is what's yours um whew, i guess it would probably be wolf walkers although like thinking back just like I had to watch these all very close together in a big block. So, oh, you, I mean, you and me both. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of admire Kells for just its kind of quaint smallness yeah. and briefness. Oh. But the, the character development and arcs are definitely a lot better in the latter two. I just yes. appreciated the kind of little storybook quality. Again, of we love tight 90s on this show. But if you can do 75 minutes and still... <laughs> keep Have it great all the story, way through yeah. absolutely yeah. a plus to that as well yeah so- I can see song that. of song of the sea is probably the one i would like consider the best mm-hmm. um but yeah man wolf walkers absolutely gorgeous animation uh, they just... keep out doing themselves in yeah. that regard watch that on the biggest screen you can watch the definitely watch it on a tv because that's because mm, yeah. i initially watched wolf walkers on my computer Oh, Did I watched you? it on my Texas Instruments calculator. Oh, you did. Yeah. And you at least got a lot of that hand drawn <laughs> yeah. really well. It was good. It's so I missed inst- some nuance. But yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But you at least got to see Daddy Goodfellow. Yeah. But, yeah. No, it's 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 definitely a film that is just just looks beautiful on the on like, on like a TV and just kind mm-hmm. of like sitting. I wish I had seen it in theaters. It'd be cool if it was in Wolf theaters. Walkers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not but sure I, if it had a theatrical release around us. It might have in some places, but it definitely wasn't like a wide release. Maybe next year if they do, when they do Ghibli Fest again, they should sneak in <laughs> sneak in the Irish folklore. Cartoon Saloon Fest. The next on Ghibli Fest, Secret of Kells. <laughs> and people go, what? I've never heard of this film. You love anime, but what about 
Irish anime. <laughs> That's so gross. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> but you know some people would be intrigued. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Did I ever tell you? There's a fun story that uh, when I when uh, I initially moved in to my current place with my roommates, we one of the first films I showed that the, neither one of them had seen at the time was Your Name. Oh, yeah. yeah. Japanese film, highly recommend it. Love that film. But I, I always remember when I showed them that film because when we started the film, we were sitting down. And Adam, just as confidently as can be, goes, man, I love Studio Ghibli films. <laughs> and I went, oh, this isn't Ghibli. And he like yeah. went looked at me and went, what? Yeah. He's like, no, there's there's other companies that do animated <laughs> films instead of Ghibli. I'm not showing you yeah. this because it's just Ghibli. Like, it's, a whole, it's a whole industry. <laughs> it's so funny. It was like, you just, I mean, and I feel like there's a lot of people that are like that too. Oh, they get sure. it. Where like Miyazaki is considered the Disney of Japan. Yeah. So like when you see a popular Japanese film, a lot of people's brains automatically fill it with, it's right. got to be a Miyazaki. Right. But I, I just always remember that. And I feel like since then, I think as, like a lot of people I knew that were like that. And there's again, nothing wrong with that. I completely yeah. understand it. At one point that was me too. Yeah. But I, I love... mean, I would have to say my favorite Miyazaki film is probably Gundam. I was waiting for you to say that. I was yeah. going to say, or Evangelion. Neon Genesis. <laughs> <Yeah>. Evangelion. <laughs> Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. Right. Subtitle. I can't remember. Hiya, you've done it again. You know, they're releasing Evangelion. The last one of the in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. That I don't, I'm not going to have the time to see it. Yeah. But that would be fun to watch it in IMAX. That would be cool. But yeah, the Irish folklore trilogy. Great. Great trilogy all around. Favorite anime. Oh yeah. (laughs) Anime doesn't get better than this folks. Oh God. Eat your heart out. Miyazaki. Our favorite Irish anime. Yeah. But speaking of animation, guess what? Oh, I thought you were going to say speaking of anime, and I was like, I don't recall this being on the schedule. <laughs> no, no, no. We should definitely find an anime trilogy, though. We That'd will. be fun. We but have. Which one? We did Goro. Oh, yes. Yeah. I was thinking more of like uh, less of a less of the rise of Goro, like more of a. a <laughs> oh, like series. an actual trilogy. An actual of anime trilogy. Films. I don't think i know of any besides the gundam trilogy I, I, as soon as i said it i knew your brain <laughs> would spark up and then there's the ava quadrilogy there is that but speaking of animation <clears throat> we are still not done with animation oh boy for you see our first trilogy of december and i believe it might be our only trilogy. i think it's probably going to be our own i think our first and only trilogy of december to kind of kick off our regular episodes of the year is a harken back to about a year or so ago when we did a odd take on the Nutcracker trilogy yeah. where we picked three... Two years ago two, now. I was wow. say, two years ago when we decided to take three different versions of the same story and talk about how fucking odd it is to see <laughs> these different versions of the same story. Yeah. We're doing that again in December this year, but instead of our favorite wooden boy, everyone's favorite wooden boy... Pinocchio. Yeah, and not only three different interpretations of Pinocchio, but three different because we couldn't stop there. We'd done that no, before. We no, had to up the no. ante. So we had to make doing, it worse. We're doing three different interpretations of Pinocchio from this year. Yeah, so from we're 2022. So we're doing 2022's Pinocchio, 2022's Pinocchio, and <laughs> 2022's Pinocchio. Uh, and what we're doing is we are doing 
The first one we are doing is, I do not even know what the director's name is, but I do know. It's called infamous. Pinocchio, A True Story. It is the film that has been infamous because of Polly Shore as the title character. Yes. So we are doing that. We're doing the Polly Shore Pinocchio. Yes. We are doing. Also featuring John Heater of uh, Napoleon Dynamite fame and Tom Kenny of SpongeBob of fame. Of course it is. So I'm guessing Polly Shore is going to be like totally outclassed in his uh, own I, movie. I bet he will be. But after that, we are going to do <laughs> Robert Zemeckis's Pinocchio, the Woo! Disney Plus original. Yes. Uh, that which... has only gotten positive reception. Uh, I'm... <laughs> don't don't get any don't get into it yet, Logan. No, I'm, I'm not going into it yet. I will say though, I am not watching this film again by myself. You've I'm already seen this. it. You're gonna I've seen it watch already. Watch me watch it. I need to see Andy watch this because I yeah. think I might know what his reaction will be. <laughs> but the third film is the one that we are most excited to talk about because we've already seen it. Yeah, we both enjoyed it. We both enjoyed it. But our third film in the trilogy is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, mm-hmm. which is what if Pinocchio but Mussolini. Yeah. And what you get is exactly... Well, it's not what if Pinocchio was Mussolini. It's no. Pinocchio in the time of, of, of the Mussolini, Italy. Of Mussolini. Yeah, fascist yeah. Italy. Which, you know, is everyone was expecting that of a Pinocchio film, <laughs> but hey, it's Del Toro, you expect yeah. it. It's also stop motion, so some carryover from Selleck. So it's so we are doing the 2022 odd Pinocchio trilogy, <laughs> and it is going to be a lot of fun. I am actually excited to see the Polly Shore one. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be perversely fascinating. But yeah, tune in on December 10th when we tackle the 2022 Odd Pinocchio trilogy. <laughs> but as always, I'm Logan Sowash. and I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.